Good morning, Wild family. It's good to be with you again this Sunday. And uh, we just want to worship the Lord just for a moment as you've been worshiping with Pastor Larry and the praise team. And Father, we just bless your name, Lord. You're the one that is worthy of all praise. And we lift up, Lord, many on our prayer list today, Father, that, Lord, we just pray for those that have COVID-19 related illnesses, Lord, with pneumonia, others, Lord, that have had surgeries and recovering from that, Lord. We just pray for them. We pray, Father, that by your stripes we are healed. The provision is made for us. And, Lord, we thank you today for your goodness and your mercy, your healing power, Lord, that is effective to work in the lives of many, Lord, on our prayer sheet today, Lord, that we're praying for, Lord, out of town, those in town, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for grace during this time that, Lord, many are not working, many are not receiving a paycheck. We thank you, Lord, that our, our House, Lord, our Senate and our uh, Congress, Lord, has passed the stimulus package, Lord, to be in the mail real soon, Lord, in the next couple of weeks to families and to homes. We give you thanks for that. But, Lord, most important of all, our trust, Lord, it's in you, God. Lord, greater than our government is the kingdom of God. As good as our government is here in the United States of America, Lord, you're greater. And, Lord, we serve you, and we're members of your kingdom, and we're trusting you, Lord. Your word says you provide for us out of the riches of your glory by Christ Jesus. And you are the king of all kings. You're the God, the creator of all the earth. So we thank you, Lord. Our trust, our confidence is in you as we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Your word declares that all these other things will be added to us, Lord. So thank you, Lord. We pray your blessings of provision upon those, Lord, that are struggling. We come against the spirit of fear. Lord, we come against the spirit of mammon that would try to drive us to be afraid that, Lord, we don't have enough. Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness and your provision, and we give you praise. And together, his church says, amen, amen. Wow, family, it's so good to be with you this Sunday morning as we share with you God's word. I have a couple of announcements to make known to you. Our regular food distribution continues here. I believe it's Monday, Tuesday, and Friday at 1 p.m., and Saturday at 2 p.m. right here on the uh, campus of 1233 Shields Road. Uh, we are practicing every safety precaution that is uh, possible. Uh, our workers are wearing gloves. We only allow a few in at the building at a time, and we actually place their items in the bag for them so nobody touches anything. And then to prepare those items, of course, they're wearing gloves and all sanitation practices are being adhered to. I want to also just, uh, this was left in my mailbox, there are some other opportunities for food if you are in need of food. Uh, tomorrow from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. at Newington Baptist Church in Gloucester. It's a drive-through food pickup only. They're going to place the food in your trunk. I believe it's probably prepackaged. They just place it in your trunk as you open the trunk and you drive on. And then Wednesday, April 1st at Todd Stadium here in Newport News. Again, it's a drive-through only. Food will be placed in the trunk. And then Friday at Darling Stadium in Hampton, uh, food, it's a drive-through food pickup. So you can uh, take advantage of those things if you're in need of food and items for your family. 
And uh, it's just a supplemental thing to help you. I'm, I'm sure it's a prepackaged uh, bag or something like that. Ours, as much as we can and get from grocery stores, we're not getting as much as we used to because the grocery stores are being shopped out and shelves are bare. But what we have, we make available to you. It's free for you. And these other food drives, drive-in food pickups, they're also free for you. So take advantage of these things and uh, be blessed in that. I do want to give an announcement. I hope that you can see this. It's kind of big. But this Wednesday, we're going to host our first drive-through prayer here on the property at 1233 Shields Road. And it's at, from 530 to 7 p.m., 530 p.m. to 730 p.m. We're going to have signs out on the, on the front lot on uh, Denby Boulevard. People will be there with signs, waving people in. So if that's you, if you're a part of WOW family... We encourage you to send your prayer request in by prayer at wowcenter.org. Go ahead and send your prayer request in now. We'll be praying for those on that day, and also we'll be praying for those other times. But we're believing it's going to attract people just from the community and literally driving by to come and just offer prayer. Uh, They're not going to get out of the cars. We're not going to touch them. We have teams set up. We have a very orderly way to come on the parking lot, drive through for prayer, and be blessed, and then drive off the lot. So we're going to try this. If it works for us well on Wednesday night uh, afternoon, then we'll offer other days of the week if that becomes necessary. So we have teams that are prepared to pray for you. They want to just hold you up in prayer. It's a time that you can get out and just uh, uh, be in contact, not physically, but at least from your car, and uh, just be blessed by those prayer teams, okay? We are working, and don't hold me to it, but we are working on the very uh, potential of having drive-in church on Resurrection Sunday. Our government and our state does not feel like the uh, restrictions, limitations of gathering will be lifted by then. Hopefully they will be. If they will be, just follow our website and our announcements that Sylvia and I are giving to you daily and our little uh, live streams we send to you daily. We'll keep you updated on that. But we're hoping to do a drive-in church service, uh, Resurrection Sunday. We'll probably have to have two services, our regular time, and we'll be broadcasting from the patio, the porch here at WOW, and uh, you'll be able to pick up that service on your FM radio station. We purchased an FM uh, uh, radio transmitter that's able to uh, broadcast the sound. We'll have a live group, a worship team there on the patio, porch, and uh, you'll be able to hear that through your radio system in your car. You won't have to get out, and we'll just, it's a great time that we need that fellowship and get out of the house, and uh, as long as we're not quarantined inside our houses, we're working towards this to make that possible for you to be able to be blessed, especially on Resurrection Sunday, so we're working on those details. Uh, if you, uh, we want to give you an opportunity to give to the Lord uh, on your uh, website of your uh, either website or the app on the phone today or whatever media device you use, all you have to do is go to our app or our website, and I'm going to pull it up and hopefully successfully demonstrate it to you today if I can get all things to work here. So that's always a great effort to do. Uh, I know our uh, media has been slowed down because of the volume of people at home and working at work and everything. But if you can see this, this is the website. The app is very similar. You'll go to our website or our app. You hit what we call the hamburger, the three hash marks, and you'll hit that, and you can go to give. There's a give tab, and when you go to the give tab, you'll see that, uh, face, you'll see that page there, and you just you put your uh, fund 
And if it's your tithe, you check tithe, you hit tithe, and it'll mark that. Or other, like with our missionaries, put uh, wow missionaries, or whatever it is uh, that you normally give. And then you go to the amount, and I don't know that, yeah. When you go to your amount, you put type in the amount there. Uh, you can make that a reoccurring gift, but you don't have to. And then also, you hit the submit button. That's very important to submit, hit the submit button. After you hit the submit button, it's going to walk you through your information, your name, your ad, of course, your credit card number. This is totally safe to do that. I realize some of you are a little bit leery about giving online because of the safety of it. Ours is a secure system. And so you can give all your information, your address, your name, your credit card number. It asks for all that. You do, it does not store that unless you hit it as a reoccurring gift. Then it would store that, store that information. But you do not have to give that way. You can give one time or through the duration of what we're going through here at uh, this time. So amen to that. So just give you an opportunity to give. As you know, in the United States, I'm looking at the channel now that we have 121,478 cases of COVID-19 here in America. We've had 2,026 deaths. That is of this morning uh, status and stats. So we're praying for the many people that are infected. And uh, we're, we, what they, you don't see reported many times, there have been reported over 135,000 people in, the, I think it's in America. No, that's yeah, in America, now that wouldn't be true. In the world, 135,000 have recovered from COVID virus. So there are people that are recovering from it. There are people that are living from it. It's not a death sentence. And I speak that very, that's very blunt, but it's not necessarily a death sentence if you get it. And so we're praying for these people. We're praying the blood of Jesus. We're praying that our officials and our medical scientists will find that vaccine and that remedy for this as soon as possible. I, my heart is really challenged, though. I believe in that. I believe in medical science. I thank God for a doctor. If I had COVID-19, I would want to take anything that they said would help me to get through it. I would do it. I would do it as long as that, you know, they could assure me there's no death risk to it or something like that. But even if I died, I'd go home and be with the Lord. My mom, Sylvia might not like that. Maybe a few other people might not like that. But I'm going to go be with the Lord Jesus and, and, and receive that eternal joy and that crown. So amen to that. But uh, so... Just don't let, don't be paranoid, don't be fearful, but I, I thank God for the scientific medicine, but most important of all, the Lord, the Lord is our protector. I know I've said this in our live stream things that we've been sharing with you daily. Do you understand that the first Passover during this season right now, next week, starting next week, we enter into Passover season. Uh, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. The following Sunday after that is Resurrection Sunday. It's the Passover season. It's a 10-day period. Do you realize that back at the first Passover season, that is when those people, the Israelites, were quarantined into their houses so that when the death plague passed through Egypt, they would be kept safe from it. They were to apply the blood of the lamb upon the door lintels of their homes. And as long as they stayed in, and as long as they ate of the lamb, and as long as they put their trust in what the word of the Lord said to them, and as long as they applied the blood, they were kept safe. 
It's the same thing happening today. There's a plague. It's a worldwide epidemic, pandemic plague. And it's the blood of the Lord Yeshua, Jesus Christ, that's going to keep us from that uh, virus and from death, that death plague. And again, we're being quarantined to our home or told not to go to work or stay in as much as possible, stay away from people. But it's the blood of Yeshua, Jesus, that's still going to protect us and deliver us. It's amazing the parallels that are happening in 2020 back to that first Passover. So believe me, trust in the blood first. Trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to continue our series today on pursuing God's blessings through the Beatitudes. Why am I doing this? Why haven't I uh, diverted and just created a series of messages that particularly deal with our situation and our crisis about COVID-19 and other things? Why haven't I? Because I believe what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 about the Beatitudes is exactly what we need to hear right now on how we as God's people need to have the character of Jesus Christ Yeshua and the fruit of the Spirit operating in our life. If we have these first few uh, Beatitudes functioning and operating in our life, we're going to be protected. We're going to be the people of God. We're going to be the peacemakers. We're going to be the ones that have hope and offer hope to a world that is full of fear. Everywhere you go, we have gone out, we've shopped, we, we've, of course, in restaurants you have to do takeouts, and we've done a few of those. We've eaten more at home than we typically do, but yet when we go out, the look on people's faces, you can see the fear. You can see, the, the is our restaurant going to make it? Are we going to make it? And you can just see it on people, and you can see it in their heart. Listen, you and I have a wonderful opportunity. This past week, God turned, when I was getting gasoline, I won't tell you where, because that brother may be watching, and I in no way want to embarrass him. But when I was pumping gas this week, God turned the gas pump station into a pulpit where I got to share the gospel with this man and actually got to pray with him and reassure him that if he puts his trust in the Lord, he's going to be okay eternally and through COVID-19. So God can take any situation. You and I just need to be ready and we need to be a willing witness and testimony and ambassador for the kingdom at this time. So I want to share with you today from Matthew 5, 4. Where Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, And today the title of this is the, the power of spiritual mourning. Not mourning as in the break of day, but mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. And a subtitle to this would be, I take ownership. So the power of spiritual mourning, where Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, mourning in the natural can be a miserable experience. Uh, Jesus speaks, though, of a kind of mourning that where we can be blessed. And I want to share with you that mourning, uh, when we wonder how the words of mourning and blessing can belong in the same sentence, that sounds like an oxymoron or, or opposites trying to be crammed together. But what is the kind of mourning that Jesus said we'd be blessed if we experienced it? To understand that, you have to understand that there's basically three types of mourning that distinguish between this to understand. The first type of mourning would be natural mourning or what we call grief. It's the grief that comes through the loss of a loved one or someone dear to us or special to us. 
our grief support uh, support system, grief share support system has taught us that people experience grief at various levels and process grief differently. So everybody goes through some kind of mourning or grief at the loss of a loved one. That's natural mourning. So Jesus himself experienced this type of natural mourning in John chapter 11, 35, when it says his friend Lazarus died and uh, passed away. And it said the shortest verse in the Bible, it says Jesus wept at the knowledge or the information that he lost his friend Nazareth. So the Lord Jesus himself knows what it's like to lose someone who's precious and dear to him. I want you to think about this. God the Father actually knows what it's like to lose someone who's very precious to him through death. He gave up his own son to die on the cross. Even though he knew he'd be resurrected, still it was a time when God had to turn his back on his own son and his own son Jesus Yeshua in earthly flesh died and God knows what it is to lose someone that he loves very uh, personally so the Lord knows what you're going through or you've gone through if you've ever lost someone in this natural grief you know nobody signs up for bereavement or grief uh and, and really welcomes it. I don't know anybody that says, oh, yeah, just bring as much grief to me as I can stand. You know, I embrace it. No, that's natural grief. That's natural sorrow. The second kind of, of sorrow that the world or mourning or grief that the uh, world knows about, it's what is entitled sinful mourning. Or maybe even a better word to define it would be covetousness or maybe lustfulness, not in a sensual or sexual connotation, but just desiring something. And so this kind of mourning or longing or lusting, it's after something that God did not give you. And so natural mourning is a grieving over something that God was given to you by God and you lost it. Sinful mourning is grieving over something that God never intended for you to have. Think about that. Uh, a story, a very vivid story about this is, and there's many, but in 1 Kings chapter 21, when we look at the life of Ahab and, and Queen, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, they were very wicked people of kings and queen over Israel. They had everything. They were the king. They were queen. They suffered. They lacked nothing in their kingdom. But yet Ahab coveted after the vineyard of Naboth. Naboth was just an ordinary citizen whose vineyard was happened to be close to the king's palace. And the king would look out and see how lush and how wonderful Naboth's vineyard was. And, and he wanted Naboth's vineyard and he offered Naboth a sum of money but Naboth didn't want to sell the land why wouldn't he it would have been very lucrative for him to have allowed the king to buy it from him because land at that time was given to them as a family inheritance God himself said the tribes will be given such such and such a portion of the land of Israel it was an inheritance from God and it was an inheritance that was passed down through family so it was something very precious and valuable you didn't sell it it was yours as long as you lived and you would pass it down through the family lineage so that was the situation but King Ahab Ahab coveted after Naboth's vineyard well what happened when the king didn't get what he wanted? Well, typical of spoiled people that have power. He, ve he was vexed and very sullen. He mourned and even pouted. <laughs> and, and because he couldn't have what did not belong to him, verse 4 tells us. And Queen Jezebel came upon King Ahad, who probably had thrown himself across his bed, pouting and wanting the vineyard but couldn't get it. And she concocted a plot to bring Naboth to court on false charges, which they did. 
they had Naboth killed and the vineyard became King Ahab's. Well, he pouted around the palace because he coveted a gift that God had given to somebody else. That is the kind of coveting that is called sinful, uh, sinful mourning, desiring something that doesn't belong to you. He mourned over it. He coveted over it to the point that it made him sick. It made him to the point where he was grieved. He was sullen. He was vexed. He was upset. Nothing else mattered. His focus, his intention was on that until he could get what he wanted. So grieving over something God never intended for you to have, it's a sinful kind of mourning. It's always a killer. It is not what the Lord wants to have in our lives or God would have brought it into your life. But this is still not the kind of mourning Jesus talked about when he said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. So here's the third and the real spiritual mourning that Jesus was talking about. Number three, Jesus was talking about mourning or grieving over our sins against God and against other people. First Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 says this in Paul's writing, he said, for the sorrow or mourning or grief that is according to the will of God that sorrow or mourning or grief, that's according to the will of God. God has an intention and a purpose for that type of sorrow or mourning. Produces repentance without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Sinful mourning produces death. But mourning over our sins against God, it produces repentance, which produces life. So that's the mourning that Jesus was speaking of. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The fruit of mourning over your sins against God or your sins, period, of your life, it produces in you the, the desire to repent. It should producing you the desire to repent, which will lead to life for you. Forgiveness and the blessing of the Lord will come upon your life. So sinful mourning is the key to overcoming, or I'm sorry, spiritual mourning is a key to overcoming habitual sin in your life. I think all of us have a, some secret sin in our life and our heart, even though we're children of God. There's things that troubled us before we were Christian. I call it B.C. days, before Christ days. There's a root of sin in us. It is, is it forgiven by the Lord? Yes. But can it still trouble you? Yes. If you don't mourn over it to the point where the Lord gives you total victory over it and you despise that sin and you hate that sin. Sometimes we, David called it a secret sin in our heart. And sometimes we harbor or hide or hold a secret sin or sins in our heart and we struggle with it. Maybe, maybe it's not something that's outwardly known or revealed or manifested, but inside it troubles us. It, it beleaguers us. It plagues us and we're not totally free from it. It. That's the kind of sin Jesus is saying, blessed are those that mourn for they shall be comforted. It's sin, habitual sin, is sin that people fall into repeatedly over a long period of time. We call that a stronghold. A stronghold is something in a person's mind or something in their spirit that continues to hold them captive. Yes, we're forgiven by the Lord as a child of God. We're, our name's written in the book of life. We're going to go to heaven, but this stronghold keeps us, hinders us, holds us back from running the race, as Hebrews says, that's set before us with freedom and victory that the Lord has for you. I want to tell you today, the Lord has victory for you to be able to run your life unfettered, unshackled, 
tabernacle, lay aside every weight that so easily hinders you from fulfilling the complete total destiny God has for you now in this world. Forget the sweet by and by. That's going to take care of itself. God has victory for you and I in this life today that we can be free from every sin. And those that will let ourselves mourn for our sins will be comforted. God's purpose for our lives is that not we run around in this cycle of sinning, repenting, then sinning, then repenting over and over again, saying I'm sorry to God or sorry to other people, but yet repeating the same behavior. Is that you today? I've fallen into that cycle many times in my life. And God, I, I, where's the victory? Lord, where's the relief? Lord, where's the deliverance? Where's the end of this thing that constantly plagues me? It may not be going out and drinking. It may not be fornicating. It may not be smoking or taking something, you know. It may not be the horrible sin you were involved in uh, before you received Jesus. It may be your thought life. It may be, you know, your marriage. It may be a multitude of things. Holy Spirit is going to put the, his finger on where it is for you today in this message. I believe that because God loves you and God wants us all to be set free. Spirit, here's the value of spiritual mourning that Jesus emphasized. Spiritual mourning, deep spiritual mourning that you will allow to happen in your heart and not cover over your sin. The Bible says he that covers over his sin will not prosper. But the one who, who, who reveals his sin and repents of his sin will be blessed by the Lord. If you want to be blessed by the Lord, come clean before the Lord with all of your heart. Have clean hands and a pure heart. Cry out as Psalm 139 says, Lord, search me. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me, Lord, and heal me and cleanse me of, that, of those sins. Spiritual mourning will help you to break that cycle of repetitive sin, of habitual sin, and bring you to a place where you grieve over your sin, you see the cost. It's so important. You see the cost of your sin, and you make a decisive break from that sin into victory. I believe this. The church body, Jesus' body, the church, you and I, we are surrounded today by a form of grace and faith that's being taught that bears no resemblance to true biblical Christianity. And that's a shame. We call it greasy grace. We call it, you know, we call it a lot of other things. But it's the kind of theology, it's the kind of thinking that says, oh, you just ask God for forgiveness and God's a God of mercy. And, and you know, it's kind of like God's like old deaf, dumb, blind grandpa. And he's sitting on his recliner on the porch of heaven and everybody appears before this deaf, dumb, blind grandpa sitting on the porch of heaven. And he's saying, oh, it's okay. And just pats us on the head. Said, I really didn't mean all that about sin. I just wanted you to live a better life. Come on in anyway. It's okay. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is merciful. He's long-suffering. He provided his son for our salvation. <laughs> he suffered a great loss. His son suffered extreme agony spiritually, physically, being separated from the Father, bearing the weight of the sin of every human being that will ever live on planet Earth. God paid a tremendous price that our minds can't even comprehend so that we could be forgiven. That's the God of the Bible. 
but yet at the same time, the other part of God's dual nature, he is a God, of, of, a God that's judged, the God, a God of a judge of all the earth who will do right. And, and that's what our laws in America are based on, the, the laws of God, of righteousness, of purity, treating people right. And God's not going to uh, violate his own commandments in order just to let somebody come through. You know, we call that greasy grace or we call it just grace. We need to be careful that we realize there is a life of holiness without which living no person will see and live and dwell in the presence of God. You may call that old-fashioned. You may call that out of step with our modern-day world of thinking but I'm telling you what God's word says without that holiness no one will see the presence of God and be in his presence he requires clean hands and a pure heart you're not going to change the economy you're not going to change the theology of God so what is this saying for the last 50 years especially worldwide but let's focus on America a, a, a faith a true faith that unites a person to Jesus Christ a true faith has been replaced by just a mental assent or what we call a mental assent or agreement with certain beliefs that we say uh, adhere to the Christian faith. Many say they believe in Jesus, that he, yeah, he's the son of God. I believe he even died. And they make statements of faith, but yet they never pursue the changed life to which a child of God is called to live. I'm going to get to that scripture in just a moment. And even non-Christians, even people that aren't Christians, look at people who say they're a believer or a Christian, and they, they despise this kind of fake faith, and they're correct to do so. They say, well, you say you're a Christian, but your life's no different than mine. As a matter of fact, my life is lived a little better. I've got a better marriage than you've got. I take my care, better, better care of my children than you do. I work harder and more with more integrity at my job than you do. You're goofing off. You're at the water cooler. You're, you're hiding in the closet. You're taking all kinds of extra breaks. And the world looks at us when we name the name of Jesus. Listen, you may think, not think they're watching. They're watching. They're watching to see, is there a real Christian in this world that when they say they're a believer in Jesus, that they really do live the life? I want to tell you what, they may not know Jesus, but they know the difference in a true and a fake Christian. This form of faith that leaves a person essentially unchanged is not worthy to bear the name of the Lord Jesus. I know that's a strong statement, but it's true. It's biblically based. Jesus calls his followers to forsake sin and turn to God. Another form of this deviation from biblical Christianity is on the subject and the word of repentance. Uh, some people say, well, if I just cry and feel sorry, you know, the Lord forgives me. Repentance is more than that. The Bible says repentance involves a change of mind which leads to a change of action. If your life hasn't changed from what you used to be, what you used to do, how you used to think, to one of following the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. I'm not saying you're perfect. There are no perfect human beings in this world except Jesus Christ. But our, our desire should be to follow on to know the Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture teaches us. So the Bible says true repentance is a change of mind to the point that it changes our action about how we're living. We stop doing things that we knew were right. We start doing things that we, we know now are right. And, and it's a change of action. But now we reduce it, and most people reduce it today. Say, so, well, yeah, I agree I'm a sinner, and, and I've asked for forgiveness. But listen to what Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. There's coming a day that the Lord can't be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. The Lord is near today. He's making salvation available to you and me now. 
Let the wicked forsake his way. Forsake means leave it behind, flee from it. As Joseph fled from Potiphar's wife, flee from sin, we're supposed to. We're supposed to hate sin, realizing it's a killer. It's going to kill you. It'll take you further than you ever wanted to go. It'll cause you to do things you promised yourself you'd never do. Sin is a killer. And the unrighteous person, their thoughts, their thoughts, your thought life. Let him return to the Lord that God may have compassion on him and to our God, for God will abundantly pardon Our God is a God of abundant grace, unending mercy, loving kindness that endures forever. Thank the Lord. Seeking the Lord involves leaving and forsaking ways and thoughts that dishonor the Lord and returning to Him. As a pastor, as a minister, as a Christian, I'm very concerned about people that name the name of Jesus, but I hear all kinds of reports about them with everybody else. They're still doing stuff. They're still laying in the bed fornicating or committing adultery. They're still doing all kinds of sins that the Bible says, not Russell says, not society says, but the Bible says will keep you out of heaven. You say, oh, that's old-fashioned. I don't like that kind of preaching. Too bad. So sorry. That's God's word. I didn't make it. I didn't write the book. I'm just a messenger of the book. But I'm going to tell you because God wants you to know him. God wants you to live a life that's repentant. God wants you to experience eternal life. Listen, if serving the Lord wasn't joyful and full of joy, I'd be out in the world. I used to smoke and drink and smoke and do drugs and do all kinds of things and fornicate. I did all that. If Jesus wasn't better than all that, I'd be out in the world today. Probably I'd be dead by now, but I'd be out in the world still wiggling in the world of sin. But Jesus is so much better. The peace, the joy, the love, the satisfaction in life to know the Lord and live for him. There is nothing in comparison to living a life that's wholly dedicated to the Lord. I don't want to have less of the Lord. I want to have more of the Lord. I want to be more committed to him. We say, oh, Lord, give me more of you. That's the wrong prayer to pray. The prayer to pray is, Lord, take more of me. He's already given all he can give of himself. It's, Lord, take more of me. Here's a word for you. It's one scripture among many. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this. God's foundation stands, uh, stands bearing this seal. You know what a seal is? A seal is when something is sealed up. It's truth. It's ready to be delivered. God's seal is this. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. It can't be said any cleaner. Our life, if we name the name of Jesus, if we profess Christ as our Savior, you're supposed to have a born-again transformation experience that your heart is changed. It's not just your mind is changed, but your heart is changed. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. The heart will govern our whole. Our heart will govern our thoughts. Our heart will govern our actions. Our heart will govern how we treat people. Our heart will govern how we respond to the Lord. When Jesus comes in, you're supposed to have a transformation of heart. If you've not had a transformation of heart that you see God different and you see people different, you need a new altar experience where you experience a salvation experience and born-again experience from the Lord. Faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. God's people repent as we believe, and we believe as we repent. Just think upon that. God's people, we repent as we believe in the Lord. And as we believe in the Lord, we repent. 
Repentance is not a one-time thing. It happened for me initially, February 21st, 1970. But I've had to repent probably thousands of times since that experience 46 years ago, 48 years ago, six years ago. I've had to, 44. I've had to repent. I don't do math publicly. I've had to repent thousands of times of things I've said, things I've thought, things I've done, and actions I've done. I've had to repent. It's a, it's, a, it's a constant relationship with the Lord. It's a continual process of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now listen, if our generation now, if there's a generation growing up believing that Christianity just boils down to agreeing with a certain set of beliefs like Hinduism, Buddhism, like I talked about last week, or Muslim, Islam, if it's just trying to keep a, a, a few different behavioral codes, if that's all that Christianity is, and we have, a, we have a generation that grows up that just trying to agree with those and just say, yeah, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I missed, missed it a time or two. And they even ask forgiveness. If, if we have a generation that believes that, it should not surprise us that they think they're genuine Christians and they're confident that they're going to go to heaven without ever experiencing a true change experience of repentance. It's, a, it's an experience. It's a transformational experience that the true child of God will experience. The person that truly comes to the Lord mourns for their sin, is sorry for their sin, is at the place that they realize they're bankrupt, that they can't do it on their own, and that they need the Lord they, don't, they, they come to the point where the first of this blessed of Jesus says they're poor in spirit. They don't have what it takes in themselves. You have to come to the end of yourself. All your finagling, all your, all your trying, all your efforts to be spiritual, to be successful, to please God, to do the right thing, to keep the Ten Commandments, to treat people right. You have to come to the end of yourself to become poor in spirit, and then mourn over your sins and submit yourself meekly to the Lord. And then the breakthrough can come. Without that happening in your life, you'll never have a deep hunger for true righteousness. Now, I want to share with you today what I call six elements of spiritual mourning. Now, just be, hold on. We're not going to cover all six. I'm just going to be able to cover two today, and we probably will continue this next week. But what is the definition of spiritual mourning? And by the way, you can get these notes on the website or the app, and you can print them off if you care to do that, or somehow follow along. You can see them as a uh, later date. But what is the definition of spiritual mourning, and how does it help us in our progress of living the Christian life and following Jesus? So here's a definition of spiritual mourning. Spiritual mourning is, number one, it's a heartfelt sorrow. A heartfelt sorrow, not just, yeah, I blew it, yeah, I missed it. It's a heartfelt sorrow over particular or specific sins that you have committed. Not pointing the finger at somebody else and well, they did that and I don't do that, so I'm better than that. You can't go there. You have to, you have, to have a heartfelt sorrow over your specific sins that arises from an attitude of brokenness or what the Bible calls humility but it also gives hope. You know, this is not a message of condemnation. The devil condemns, Holy Spirit convicts. 
The Holy Spirit convicts us with the hope that we'll turn to God, we'll repent, and godly sorrow will lead us to, to repentance and life and righteousness. That's the, way, the reason God deals with us. Condemnation is the devil beating you over the head. You'll never make it. You're low down. You're a rat. You're worse than you know, a worm. You're all this bad stuff. You're never going to make it. Why don't you just give up? Why don't you just kill yourself? And that, that's the voice of the enemy. And if you're hearing that voice, that's the devil. You wonder, oh, that's the devil's voice. And it makes, he makes it sound like it's your voice. And it makes it sound like it's the only alternative you have. It's not. The alternative you have, the choice you have is to turn to the Lord. And it gives, turning to the Lord gives you hope. So to have heartfelt sorrow over the particular specific sins of your life, that you come to the Lord in true humility, humbleness, it gives you hope. And that leads you to forsake those sins at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where the Lord invites every one of us to come. Whether you're not a Christian yet, you're an unbeliever in Jesus, you're not really, really following him yet with all your heart, or you are following your heart for 60 plus years. If you sin, you bring that to the cross. And thank God the cross is, you know, Jesus is not still hanging on the cross but just get it in your heart and your mind. You bring that sin to the cross where Jesus died for your sins. And you lay it down there. And you give yourself to the Lord there at the cross. So let's, I want to deal with these six particular elements. And only two of them today. And then we'll finish up and pray and have communion. Oh yeah, by the way, I uh, forgot to tell you at first. Again today, we want to have communion with you. So uh, if you have communion elements or sometime if you got matzo this week or juice this week. Or, or a cracker, whatever you got, it'll work. We, we got reports, some people had uh, Keebler crackers and pineapple juice and uh, Keebler or rich crackers and water. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the element is. It's the spirit and your heart and your attitude with the element. So uh, take a break and go get your elements and be ready. We're going to have communion and uh, celebrate that with you today. Sorry I didn't tell you earlier. So the first uh, element of uh, having experiencing true spiritual mourning is this. Spiritual mourning names, admits to particular specific sins in your life. Spiritual mourning has a clear focus. It, it, it mourns over named sins. Now stop calling your sin a mistake. Stop calling it a slip-up. Stop saying, well, well, this is just my family heritage. This is just how my family does things and acts. It's not that. It's a sin. Sin uh, is deadly. It's destructive. You have to get to the point where you are honest enough, you accept the responsibility that you have to name that specific sin. You've got to own it. You've got you to agree. And that's what 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins. That phrase right there, confess our sins, means other translation says, if you agree with God that you have sinned. Then it says, he is faithful and he is just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. Awesome, powerful promise from the Lord. First John 1 John 1.9 is one of the first uh, scriptures I committed to memory because I needed it so bad. Because after I became a Christian, I thought, oh man, this, this is a life of, 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 I thought, nirvana. This is a life I'll never sin again. And when I first did, I was so devastated. I said, oh God, what's wrong? And the Lord had to show me, hey, you're human. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. But you're still a human being. And you're not perfect yet. And we still have, we still wrestle with our sin nature. We still struggle with that. And I had to realize that, oh God, I confess, I've sinned against you. It broke my heart. And I believe it broke God's heart. 
But when I've learned to agree with God, and that's the best thing you can do, and the quicker you do it, the better you do it, because if you don't do it quick, your heart tends to get hardened. And your heart tends to say, well, you know, it's not so bad. I've done this 895 times or 8,653 and a half times, whatever. And we, our heart gets hardened. We need to keep our heart soft, pliable, open to the Lord, soft and tender to Him. Because when we sin, it's not only against us or against another person. We're offending the grace and the mercy of the Lord who loves us and gave his life for us. And, and we need to come to him. So don't call it a mistake. Don't call it a slip up. Own it. Admit to it. You did it. You're guilty of it. But yet you're not condemned by it. God's merciful. Call it what it is. Lust, jealousy, greed, stealing, adultery, pride, fornication, pornography, whatever. You cannot be really free from that habitual sin until you accept your responsibility and own up to your failure to be able to do what the Lord wants you to do, which is first being poor in spirit, realizing you don't have what it takes to honor and to please God and live up to His standards, which is perfection. And then secondly, of the blessed Jesus gives is to mourn to grieve over that sin against God or grieve over that sin against another person. I've already told you 1 John 1, 9, but one translation said, if we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Faithful and just means he's true to his own nature and promises. God will forgive you. And you may, you may have a hard time and beat yourself up, but that's condemnation. That's the devil and that's yourself. You see, there's a sense that we say, well, if I suffer long enough and I make myself suffer long enough, that'll prove to God that, that, you know, I'm really sorry. No. If you're really sorrowful from your heart, God forgives you. It's erased. As a matter of fact, the debt's been already paid for us. Jesus has already died so that you, we and I, you and I are already forgiven. We have to accept. Man, there was a time in my life that I, I just couldn't get it together as a Christian. I knew I was saved, I knew I was born again, but religion was messing me up. And condemnation would come in, and, 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 and I, I had a very keen sense, of a wrong sense of inferiority. That's not good. Inferiority is not good. Uh, Self-deprecation, that's not good. Putting yourself down is not good. That, and and I, I was ate up with that. For whatever the reasons were there, I was ate up with it. And, and I would pray, and I'd ask God to forgive me. And I knew what the word said. I got it in my head. But just somehow, you know, I'd just beat myself up. I'd hold myself to it. You know, you, you, you're a failure. You know, you can't do it. And I'd go on for weeks, days, weeks, and sometimes in the months, just, you know, feeling low and never having the victory again and, and feeling like, you know, I can't praise the Lord. I'm not worthy to do that. I'm not talking to somebody today out there. And to the Lord had to deal with me and said, you've got to forgive yourself. I've forgiven you. And here's what the Lord said to me. Who do you think you are that you're greater than my power to forgive you, but you won't forgive yourself? Do you think your power is greater than my power to forgive you? And I went, whoa, Lord, I'm sorry. You know what? That is pride. That is arrogance. To, for me to think or you to think our our pride is greater. Our sense of having to make ourselves suffer and struggle for our sins is greater than God's ability to forgive us. Jesus Christ has already paid the debt. I'm talking to somebody today.
that you constantly seem to fail. You constantly seem to beat yourself up. I'm talking to you today. I know what that's like. I've been there. I've lived that life. It's a miserable existence for a child of God. It is a place where the devil constantly is robbing you of your victory and your joy and your peace and your relationship with God. I pray for you today to be set free, to release yourself from, the, from the, the power of failure in your life and receive in your heart and your mind and even in your physical being today God's love and God's forgiveness. Look at God's word. Read God's word. I had to say it out loud and it took a long time for me to get to where I could do it because it was just so hard to believe it. I knew it here because the word said it, but I didn't get it here. And I had to start saying it out loud. I receive your forgiveness. I am forgiven. I'm forgiven the blood of Jesus not only it doesn't cover it cleanses me from my sins I'm free I've asked for forgiveness there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus Romans chapter 5 I believe is the chapter the word of God is so important to us to set us free and to establish truth in our lives I I, I in this season in my life, this 2020, I've always believed in the Bible. I've always read the Bible. But it's like we've got to hide his word in our heart that we won't sin against him. We've got to hide his word in our heart that there's something there for the Holy Spirit to work through us with in these times and these days, these last days that we're living in. I know I'm off the subject. I'm chasing a rabbit. But, boy, it's, it needs to be said right now. The word of God. It's so important for you. Get in the Word of God. Don't just read it as a habit. Don't just read it to check off a list and say, I did it today. Read it as a word of life to you, as daily bread to you. And believe it when you read it. Read it out loud to yourself. Say it to yourself. That's what meditation is. Meditation on the Word. It's not just reading it, closing it, and said, oh, I checked the list. I did it today. It's saying it out loud. It's thinking through it. It's what did I get out of it? What is the Word saying to me? Is there a sin it told me to repent of? Is there an action it's telling me to take? Shared that with you last week. Do those practices when you read the Word of God. I need to make that list and keep it by my Bible. I haven't done that yet. And when I began to read this morning, I said, man, I need to make that list for myself. I need to practice what I preach. Amen. So, how does spiritual morning start? Well, I'm on it right now. Number one, it starts with an open Bible. That's how spiritual morning starts. Psalm 119, verse 130. The entrance of your word gives light. God's word, the entrance of his word into our heart, mind, spirit, and even our physical body gives light, gives revelation, gives truth to us. It convicts us. It rebukes us. It corrects us. It puts us on the right path. It, 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 it kind of gives us a at a boy or at a girl that we're doing the right thing, but keep doing it. And, and God's word will speak to us. The entrance of God's word brings light to the dark places of our heart. Another way, another source that uh, spiritual morning starts is or, or can happen is other believers that are influential in our life. They see our blind spots. Oh, yeah, you got them and I got them. We have things in our life that we don't see we're doing wrong or sometimes doing right. You can encourage somebody and they say, well, I, di I didn't know that. Encourage them when you see them doing something right. But when you see them doing something wrong, the Bible gives us permission. Go to them in a spirit of meekness, not arrogance or pride or trying to, you know, correct them. Go to them in a spirit of meekness and point out their blind spot to them. Do it in love. Do it privately first. If they're, if they're in a sin, it said take another brother or sister with you. And then it goes on. If they don't receive it, you know, 
Bring them before the church. Hopefully it doesn't ever get that far. But other Christians can help us see our blind spots. How's, where's that in the Bible? Well, there's one good place, or all of them are good places, but there's one place I want to share with you today, James 5, 16. Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, people don't understand this. We confess our sins to God. Not a man, not a priest. There's one mediator between God and man. It's the Lord Christ Jesus. You confess your sins to God. But the Bible here says confess your faults, your weaknesses, your stumblings, your failures, your inadequacies, your, your, your struggles. Confess those with one another. Why? You're bringing them out of darkness into light. Whatever you bring out of darkness into light, the devil no more, has no more control over you. When you keep it in darkness, the devil always has a control over you and a leverage over you. Say, yeah, if people knew this about you, they wouldn't let you serve. If people knew this about you, they wouldn't think very highly of you. If people knew this about you, boy, you you wouldn't be esteemed, you know, or you wouldn't be liked. Everything we keep in darkness is not good. So we confess our faults to one another, but find someone you can trust. Don't find Maggie the mouth that's going to tell everybody your business. Be careful, you know, who you trust in. Find a brother, find a sister. Maybe it's your husband, your wife, your spouse, or tr- maybe it's your pastor, you know. Uh, maybe you can't even trust your pastor. I hope you can trust this pastor. But, you know, take it to, take it. You don't confess your sins, but you confess your faults, your weaknesses, your failures. And you pray for one another. You don't just confess it and blab it. You pray for one another. That's not just a one-time prayer. You pray for one another that what? You may be healed. We are healed when we bring the things in darkness into the light and people pray with us for healing. The Word of God in our heart and the other people can help us too. Second element of spiritual mourning is this. This is as far as we'll get today. Spiritual mourning involves heartfelt sorrow. Now, this is where I said earlier that some people that name the name of Jesus are not experiencing They're not having a change of heart because they're not experiencing a real heartfelt sorrow for their sins. They may be sorry they got caught. They may be sorry people found out. They may may be sorry about a lot of things, but they're, they're not sorrowing that leads them to godly repentance, which has the fruit of bringing them to life. So if you don't follow that, that model that Jesus gives us, you won't experience the life of God, the joy, the peace, the abundant life that Jesus said he came to give us. So, again, the definition of spiritual mourning is heartfelt sorrow over particular sins. We covered that in point one. You've got to name it. You've got to admit to it. You've got to take the responsibility for where you've sinned, and you've got to take that to God or confess it to another person if you've sinned against them. So it's that heartfelt sorrow over particular sins. It arises from humility, which is brokenness, which is realizing that you need to be humble. Uh, it's better to humble yourself than to wait and be arrogant and pride and have God humbled you because that's a rough road to go. And it leads, it gives hope, and it leads you to forsake these sins at the cross. So there has to be a focus on the difference between just admitting to sin and being truly repentant from the heart. Another story, uh, example, rather than story, is from uh, King Saul in 1 Samuel 15. Very familiar. After a major victory in battle, Saul, King Saul disobeyed the direct command of God to, about taking plunder for himself and his men. Uh, he was directed by Samuel the prophet, do not take any of the plunder, do not take the king, do not take the servants, do not take the animals, kill them all. 
And that was, that was God's commandment. Well, the king and his men didn't do that. They spared the best sheep, if you'll remember, the best oxen. They said for sacrifices to God. They were making justification for their failure. They didn't kill King Agag because they wanted to, Saul wanted to parade him before the rest of Israel and show him that he'd won and what a great king he was, what a great warrior he was. But he missed God. He disobeyed. He didn't. And, and listen what happened. Here's the story. I'll just give you a nugget of it today. And when Samuel the prophet came and pointed out to Saul his failure, what did Saul do? He admitted to his sin. You're right. He said to Samuel, the prophet said, yep, you're right. I, I, I sinned. I didn't, I didn't do what the commandment of the Lord was. It appeared that he was genuinely repentant. But then his next words found in verse 30 to Samuel the prophet, he appealed to Samuel to go with him when he went back to the people in order to honor him, go back with him and honor him as, as he bowed before the Lord as if everything was okay. What a sham. What a false. What, what, a, what a pretense. And Samuel, of course, would not do it. Samuel loved God. He said, there's no way. He said, you've sinned. You disobeyed with God. Don't hook me up with your sin. I'm not having God, you know, after me because of your sin. What... Saul's true intent, King Saul's true intention was it was on damage control. Damage control to save his reputation. It wasn't about repentance that led or sorrow that led to repentance. He was sorry he got busted. He was sorry that he disobeyed. He was sorry that it didn't work out the way he wanted. He thought it was a good plan. He, he thought he had, well, I've got a better plan than God's got. You know, I'll save the king and present him before all the people and show what a mighty victory we have over, over the King Agag. I'll save the best of the animals. We'll use them for sacrifice to the Lord. Surely God would like that. You know, they're good animals. They're healthy animals. They were perfect animal specimens. You know, Saul's life shows the pathway of someone who, who they do admit that they're wrong, but they did not have a heartfelt sorrow of spiritual mourning that led them to true repentance, which 2 Corinthians 7.10 says that. Another example of that would be Judas Iscariot. After he sold Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver and uh, Jesus went through what he went through, all of a sudden Judas, it dawned on him, I ha the Bible says, I have betrayed an innocent man and betrayed his blood. He took the, took the 30 pieces of silver, tried to give it back. They said, hey, this is blood money. We can't take it back. You know, you do with it what you want. Uh, Judas went out. He threw the coins down, you know. He, he gave up his, his price that he paid for betraying Jesus. He went out. Did he repent? No, he was sorry for what he did, but he didn't actually repent. It said he hung himself. Didn't lead to repentance through godly sorrow. How do you cultivate this heartfelt godly sorrow in our life? It's not enough to just know we're supposed to have it. How do you cultivate it? How do you cultivate this godly sorrow that leads to repentance and then victory over our sin? You have to realize what it's going to, what it, you have to realize what sin or the lack of repentance and the lack of mourning for your sin, you have to realize what it costs you, what it costs others, and what it costs Jesus. Three areas. I'll cover these briefly and we'll close. What does it cost yourself when you refuse to mourn, when you refuse to come to the Lord and truly, honestly repent? Well, it costs you of where you would be by now in your spiritual growth if you had not allowed that sin or sins to hold you back. Next, it would cost uh, the cost of how this sin has hindered you from being used more effectively by the Lord. The Lord could have been using your life more effectively for His glory and to help other people. 
Uh, this sin has it's dulled your worship. You don't feel free to worship. Oh, you may raise your hand and you may you may sing the songs and you may uh, you pay your tithe. You know, may be doing through a few things, right things. But in your heart, you know, I'm not really right with God. It's because you haven't mourned over your sin. You haven't come to the place where you mourn to the point where you've truly repented, changed your mind, and stopped doing that and had a different action. And the sin has dulled your worship. It dulls your testimony because every time you try to open your mouth to testify about Jesus, the devil's on your shoulder saying, who are you to name the name of Jesus when you're not living this life right? Oh, I know. I've had that voice on my shoulder before when I wasn't totally where I should be with the Lord. The devil said, who are you? Just keep your mouth shut because you're not living this life. And if you open your mouth, they're going to find out about you. And they're going to find out that you're not living this life either. So it hinders your worship. It hinders your testimony. It keeps you from a distance from the Lord. It's led you into other sins of deception and pretense. When you don't really or are not really honest with the Lord... When you're deceived, deception leads you into further deception and leads you into pretense. Well, I, you know, God hasn't revealed anything. It seems like I'm getting by with this. You don't get by with sin. The Bible says, be sure, be sure your sins will find you out in Numbers, the book of Numbers. And another thing, it costs yourself. If, if you ever taken the time or the thought to total up with this sin or sins, it's costing you in the way it's costing you the freedom that you've forfeited if you'd left this sin behind. You could be living in great freedom, great victory, uh, not, not, not going to bed with a guilty conscience at night or, or, or not having all these other aspects working in your life. The Lord wants us to be free. He wants us to, to know Him, to live in the peace and the joy. Secondly, what does not experiencing true mourning for our sins, what does it cost other people? You see, uh, no, no one sins to him or herself. People think, well, and the devil makes us think and self makes us think, well, you know, nobody else is involved in this. This is just me. This is just me watching pornography. This is just me gambling. This is just me cheating. Uh, nobody will ever know. It doesn't affect anybody else. It's not going to harm anybody else. It's just me. Listen, every time you sin, it has, a, it, has a, uh, it has the effect of like you're at a pond or a lake and you throw a little pebble into the water, and it causes great ripples. There's no way that you can sin and it not affect other people. It will affect other people. It may take time, but it will affect other people. The sin that you're willing to mourn over, it's made you hard to live with. It's made you difficult to work with. It's made you more difficult to love you because you're obstinate, you're rude, you're arrogant, you're prideful. That's what sin does to you when it operates in your heart. You're arrogant, you're standoffish, you're aloof, you're whatever. It, your spouse sees it, your family sees it, your work associates, your friends see it. You can't see it, though. That's the power of deception. You can't see it, but everybody else can. Even if they never find out. Here's a point. Even if people never find out about your sin, what it's doing, it's robbing them of you being all that God wants you to be to bless and benefit their life. You see, this is not just about you and me living for the Lord. This is about you and me having a relationship with the Lord for us to enjoy it personally, but for us to be able to bless other people. You're robbing other people by you not living for the Lord in the fullness of the blessing and the provision and destiny God has for you. You're not only shortchanging yourself of God's purposes, but other people also. Now, thirdly, what is our lack of mourning, true spiritual mourning over our sins? What is it costing Jesus? You say, wow. It's costing not only yourself, it's costing not only others, 
your lack of mourning, our lack of mourning will cost Jesus something. Never thought about that, have you? Jesus did not hang on the cross and die for sins in general. He died for specific sins with names and dates and faces and people involvement and actions and incidences involved in it. Not just this thing of sin in general. He died for the power of sin that all of humanity is under the power and sway of. But it's that power of sin that causes us to do the individual actions that hurt, that offend, that wound people and ourselves. Jesus suffered and died for the sin that you should be mourning for and I should be mourning for and the punishment for that sin that belongs to us. God in his amazing grace has allowed your sins and my sins to be culminated, gathered together collectively, transferred to Jesus' account so that you and I could be justified just as if we'd never sinned. Jesus personally took your sins, my sins to Calvary and suffered for them so that we could be set free. When you and I don't truly mourn for our sins and repent of those sins, we are giving insult, adding insult to the greatness of what God did through his son to redeem us, forgive us, bring us into his kingdom, and make us his children again. We're, we're saying to God to his face, I don't care what your son did. I'm going to live life my own way. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to do a surface kind of relationship. Listen, God's not into religion or a surface relationship. God is an intimate God. He wants relationship with you. He wants you to know his son. He wants you to know the intimacy of his voice and the Holy Spirit daily. Not on Sunday, not only on a Sunday or a Wednesday or whatever time you choose to worship him. Daily, 24-7, God wants you to experience his voice. So to sum this up today, and just get ready for communion. Sylvia's coming and joining me here. And just to sum this up today, naming and recognizing the cost of your sins will lead you into spiritual mourning. Naming particular and specific sins will focus your attention on what needs to change in your life. There needs to come some change. That's repentance, change of action. Not just change of, oh, I said the words. They're not magic words, but change in action. That your actions, your nature changes. Third, counting the cost of these sins. It press, when you name it and, and you hear yourself name it and are honest with yourself, it presses the urgency. It should press the urgency upon your heart that you need to change. And naming that sin will show you where you need to repent and come into godly sorrow of repentance that will lead to life. I say it again. Godly sorrow does lead to repentance, and repentance will lead you, does lead you to life. So when you see the connection here, it becomes clear that spiritual mourning is crucial to making prog progress in your Christian life and living the Christian life. I hope this today has been clear to you. I hope it's been a blessing to you. We'll try to, it won't be next week. Next week's uh, Palm Sunday. I'm working on a special prophetic type message for Palm Sunday. Following week the 12th is Resurrection Sunday. Again, we're hoping to have drive-in church on Resurrection Sunday to where you can actually drive upon the property for those two service times, 8.30 and 11.30, and, and just be here and join us for live worship in a time of the Word then too. So I want to pray with you. Would you pray with me before we uh, participate in communion? Father, I thank you for your Word today, the Bible, the truth, the revelation. Oh, God. Oh, God, 
Don't let us be a people that, Lord, just glibly, surfacely says, oh, yeah, I sinned. Oh, yeah, I slipped. Oh, yeah, I made a mistake. No, yeah, this is part of my family lineage. My whole family's had this issue problem. Oh, God, help us not to be satisfied with that. May the Holy Spirit, whose ministry and role is to convict of sin, not condemn, but convict of sin. May the Holy Spirit today convict us, the church, the body of Christ, us at World Outreach Worship Center, the church on Hampton Roads, the church of Virginia, the church of the United States of America, the church, the body of Christ of the world. Father, may the Holy Spirit through this time of crisis of COVID-19 where man's desperately looking for a vaccine and a cure and a remedy and a hope with money stimulus, jobs, life to return to normal. Lord, our hearts cry out, we just want this to be over with. But oh God, I don't believe you sent this I don't believe you caused COVID-19. But God, I believe you're arresting our attention to realize that we need the Sabbath, we need the Shabbat to slow us down, to cause us to think. And I pray, God, that this word will go out, not as the word of man, but the word of the Lord. That Jesus, you yourself said, blessed are those that are poor in spirit and Blessed are those that are mourned before they shall be comforted. And comfort comes when we mourn over our sins and we repent over not putting you first and we repent over dishonoring you and your ways and we repent over our idols that we have as Americans, as, as we, idols we have as Christians that you're not first that, Lord, a love for you and a love for the lost is not first. But, oh, God, we're so distracted with our toys and our games and our money and our occupation and our busyness and, Lord, our self-importance. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us. Through this time that, Lord, we're trapped in our homes and activities restricted and internet's even messed up. There's so many people on their internet. The internet's got glitches. We're mad about that and we're frustrated about that. And all normalcy of life has been touched and affected. Oh, God. Forgive us, Lord. Holy Spirit, come deal with us. Don't let us miss this time of the Passover season that we're quarantined in our houses. and We need the blood. <laughs> we need the blood. We need the blood to cover us, to cleanse us. We need to trust in the blood that the plague will pass over our house, that the plague will pass over our loved ones. We need your blood, Jesus. More than we need a monetary stimulus more than we need to go back to work more than we need things to return to normal 
We need you, Jesus. We need your blood. We need your mercy. We need your grace upon our nation. We need your grace, God. We all, we all, we all, we all, we all need to repent. We all need to be, we all need to mourn deeply, God, for our sins. We all need to cry out, Psalm 139, oh God, search us. That we'd open our heart in honesty and integrity and truth. Holy Spirit, search us. Put your godly, merciful finger upon my sins, upon the sins of your people, that we repent, oh God. Not just say we're sorry, not just agree with you that we've we sinned, but Lord, repent to where our, our mind is changed, our heart is changed, that we have a transformation by the power of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. God, forgive me. Forgive me for not loving you first. Forgive me for not loving you more. Show me how. Forgive me of the idols I allow to come into my heart, my mind, my spirit, my thinking, my home. Holy Ghost, do something sovereign. Don't let, oh God, please hear me when I pray. I'm not enjoying this restriction time. But maybe, just maybe, just maybe, God's using it as a forced Sabbath, Shabbat, Passover, to give us time to slow down and think and ponder. And our eyes open and we have we slow down long enough to where we give him more time, give him more attention, more of our affection to turn us individually, personally, and to turn this nation, to turn his church, his body, his bride to him like we've never been turned in and should be turned in. Do I enjoy this time? No. Do I relish it? No. Do I want it to extend? No. But may God fulfill what he's trying to do in us through it. May our hearts allow him. May our hearts embrace what he's trying to do in us personally, individually. May you embrace a spirit of mourning, not condemnation. Please hear me. Not condemnation, but a spirit of mourning, grief over your sins, your personal sins, your lack of ability in yourself to be godly or righteous. Our trust, our hope, it's in his mercy, it's in his love, it's in his grace, it's in the power of his shed blood for us as we're approaching Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday and Passover. That's 10 days of Passover. Father, touch us. Touch those that are sick. Touch those, Lord Jesus, that have the coronavirus. Touch those that need the healing power of God. Help them, Lord. Touch into these homes, these families. I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit knows no barriers. You're not confined to a building we call the church. This is not the church, wherever your people are in their homes. Some of them are even, some of them, they're in their homes very relaxed today, dressed very relaxed. But your Holy Spirit knows no boundaries. Right now, I believe you, Lord, Holy Spirit, to touch. May they experience your presence. May they experience your mercy. 
May they experience your love, your loving kindness that endures forever. May they experience the Holy Spirit that is just wooing and drawing and breaking their heart. Come on, let those tears come. Right now, even watching through live streaming or watching through an archive time, Holy Spirit knows no barriers, distance of time or space, space. Let those tears come. Let that brokenness come. Let Him do something fresh in you this 29th day of March 2020 as we enter into this Passover season. Holy Spirit, come. Let there be a true humility and brokenness in your people. Thank you, God, for mercy. Thank you for your amazing, incredible love. Thank you for the power of the blood in the name of Jesus. We're not ashamed of the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, Yeshua. That doesn't cover anymore. It cleanses our sins and casts our sins as far away from as the east is from the west. You may be that very person that's listening today that I described earlier in my life that struggles with sin, forgiveness and sin, forgiveness, habitual sin, and over and over and over. It may, that may be you struggling, never feeling good enough, worthy enough. I want to assure you today the Heavenly Father loves you. Jesus died for you. The blood's been shed for you. If you'll come before Him today, if you'll admit, agree with Him that it is sin, it's not a mistake, it's not a slip, it's not family heritage, it is a sin that you've been under the power of sin, habitual sin. You've opened the door to it, you've catered to it, you've let the devil do it, and you're hooked, you're bound. But you truly, truly want to be free. If you'll talk with him today, if you'll invite him today, the power, the power of the Holy Spirit will set you free in the name of Jesus and the authority of Yeshua's name. We rebuke in Jesus' name every stronghold. Every deceptive spirit, every demonic stronghold in Jesus' name be broken now in the name of Jesus as they repent and as they cry out to you. Devil, you're defeated by the blood of Jesus. Go to the feet of Christ Jesus. Set the people of God free. The Lord rebuke you, Satan, and every demonic imp of hell in Jesus' name and authority. Father, we praise your name. Father, we give you glory. Father, we give you honor today, God. As you prepare your heart to receive the bread and the juice, we don't qualify to take this because we're perfect. We can't. We qualify to take this because we need Him. The body that he allowed, his own body, flesh, human body, the second Adam where the first Adam failed, the second Adam successfully resisted the devil to complete the Father's will perfectly. And they took his body and they beat him and they put the crown of thorns on his head and they beat it with rods and beat it down to his brow where he bled. They beat his body and they punched him out. They beat his body with a cat of nine tails Probably more than just the 39 stripes. They took revenge on him because he named, he said he was a king and they mocked him. Oh, you're king of the Jews. We hate the Jews and we hate you. 
and you say you're their king, we'll take it out on you and show them. We'll show them who's in authority here. It's us, the great Roman Empire. I believe they mercilessly beat him beyond recognition as I say. And the word says that by those stripes, he bore his body. You and I are healed. We're saved. We're redeemed. Our sins are forgiven, applied to his account and taken off of our account because he let him drive nails through his wrists, his feet, pierce him with a Spirit aside, the agony, the spiritual agony, the, the, the physical agony, the spiritual agony, Jesus, Yeshua suffered on that cross. My God, my God. His love. God commends, God shows, God manifests, God proves his love towards us. And that while you and I were yet sinners, he died for us. He's done everything he can do for you today. Do you receive him? Do you receive his love? Do you receive the power of his blood? Do you receive him today? Father, we take this bread, this cracker, whatever we have today. And in the spirit, O oh God, of repentance... In the spirit, O oh God, of sorrow and mourning and brokenness for our sins. And we cannot save ourselves. Lord, I am so sorry that I have failed you and failed other people. And I thank you for the power that's through the Holy Spirit that you give us, O oh God, to overcome sin because we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loves us. We receive this bread today that causes us, calls us to remember your broken body given for us. We take this bread today, Lord, and we receive all that you have, all the covenant promises you have for us. We receive them, and Lord, as we take it, we're forgiven, we're healed, we're redeemed, we're your people. In the name of Yeshua, Jesus, take the bread. Lord, thank you for your blood that never changes. That all-sufficient blood that forgives our sins, that heals us, that heals our sicknesses. And we declare the blood of Jesus over the United States. We declare the blood of Jesus over everyone that has this virus. Yes. We declare the blood of Jesus heals. We declare the blood of Jesus is greater than every virus, every sin, every sickness, every work of darkness. We declare your blood is triumphant over all. And because the blood of Jesus over our heart protects us from the evil one. And we declare your blood on the doorpost yes. of our hearts, yes. our families, our marriages, our jobs, our finances, and over our minds to give us peace. We declare the blood of the Lamb today. We receive the cup in the name of Yeshua Jesus. 
thanking you, Lord, that all the promises of the covenant are in you, Lord. Until we drink this cup with you, Lord, in eternity, we receive it as a covenant, Lord, that we're your bride and you're the bridegroom. In the name of Jesus, Yeshua. Father, you told the priests to put your name on your people. And praying from Numbers chapter 6, Lord, put your name on your people. Lord, today I pronounce this ironic priesthood blessing. Lord God Almighty, Creator, Ancient of Days, Alpha and Omega, the God of Eternity the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. That name of Jesus at which every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. Father, I pray for your people. May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai make his face to shine upon you and show you his favor. And may Adonai lift up his face towards you and bless you with his shalom, his peace in your household, in your spirit, your soul, your body, your mind, your will, emotions, in your marriage, in your finances. We pray for you that are not working, not able to work, no income. We pray for you in the name of Jesus, a supernatural provision for you. We pray that you'll not suffer want or lack. We pray that through this, God will prove himself to you as a miracle providing God because he's a God of the supernatural. He can cause a cruise of oil to last until the famine's over. He can cause, oh God, the bread and the fish, oh God, to be multiplied, God. He can cause the groceries and even the toilet paper that everybody seems to be craving and just can't find enough of. He can cause even the toilet paper, oh God, to be able to last, oh God, as well as the food, Father. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless your people, Lord. In your name, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, amen. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for allowing us to come into your home call one another, spread the word, uh, show God's love towards people, check on people, be in prayer. We're here in prayer for you. Our staff is working. We're uh, praying for you, and uh, we're here for you. If you have needs, please, please call the church office, email us, text us. We bless you. Thank you. God bless in Jesus' name.